0: Michel Bauens, welcome to Radio Wolf. I'm happy to talk to you again. Yes, hello, Thomas. Uh, It's good to see you again after I think three years. Yes, yes. Uh, And uh, you are a very well-known author, writer, and speaker about uh, peer-to-peer technology, commons, and the whole take of a different economic uh, possibility for our uh, global markets. And we would like to talk uh, with you about the new technological developments that we have right now with blockchain and uh, decentralized autonomous organizations. As I just told you, uh, we wrote uh, in our German magazine and whole issue about that, how this is or is not a potential for creating conscious networks, uh, conscious decentralized uh, and autonomous networks around the world, or if this is a new technological kind of utopia that uh, kind of create the opposite of what the promises, and as you are kind of uh, thinking about these kind of topics since decades are uh, are you hopeful do you think about blockchain? I mean they obviously difficulties challenges uh, all Around it, but do you think there is a real potential that we should think and talk about?
1: So, to be totally honest, uh, in the short term, I'm, I am not optimistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we are living in a time of uh, accelerated decline, and it's ecological decline, so you know, resource depletion and climate change, it's social injustice and precarity. So, we are reaching levels of insecurity. That you know, create free floating anxiety in people. So, we are in the midst of a, a crisis of polarization and fragmentation. Um, so these are really two two serious issues. And the third issue is, um, I think the issue of uh, mediation, this uh, disinter- disinter- um, mediation between humans and, and nature, right? So, these are like um different trends that are for the moment going in the negative direction. Um, And I think if you look at human history, you you can see this happening regularly. You know, civilizations uh, decline and collapse and lead to new situations. And just in the West, we have a very big change, you know, in the fifth century with with the collapse of the Roman empire. Then we have the religious civil war in the 15th century that is devastating and leads to capitalism and the nation-state. And so I think very much we're in the similar situation, right? Mm-hmm. So we're in a situation where I think the social dislocation and the cultural dislocation is preceding even physical, it's going faster than even physical uh, issues. So in that sense, I'm not optimistic, like in the short term. I think we, we have to brace ourselves. Um, but... I think also these are the periods where the new is being born, right? So it's it's in those moments that. So basically, what I see is an enormous. Di- so there's too much differentiation. And technology uh, is a cause of that, right? So you could, I'm not sure what it wasn't at the end of Roman Empire, but you know the the expansion of the empire, the mixing of peoples, um, you know the depopulation of Italy. So all this created. In capacity of the empire to to manage uh, its complexity, and it went back to a much simpler social order, which was the feudal uh, and you know and the Christian dogmas for a time. You know, it got a more beautiful phase afterwards, but certainly in the first few centuries, it was a huge uh, simplification and die out of the population. Then in, in the 15th century you know despite all my critics uh of of the capitalist system i actually think that we 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 created more complexity so in other words it was relatively successful because we privatized religion so we didn't have to fight physically around religion anymore we could have it as a private opinion and then we created this kind of civic religion around the monarch and then the nation state and democracy that created uh, peace um, and so this is a similar, I think, a similar crisis. Um, so personally, I don't think we can avoid technology. I think humanity is a technological species. That's how we became human by you know, actually creating tools and and and, and, and improving them. Um, and so to me, like you no, know, purely like you know, retro romantic vision of let's go back to how it was to more simple, I, I, so personally, I, I don't think this is uh, interesting. So the way uh, I see technology is, you know, is that we, we have to somehow take control of it again, right? We, we, so we have created all these layers of mediation. And I, 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 I agree with the critics that we have reached a level of alienation with ecology, with nature, with animals that is actually increased. With With the kind of technology we have today, um, but rather than say let's you know let's undo it, which I don't think it's possible. I don't think humanity is ready to give up the access to knowledge uh, and to global cooperation that we have achieved, so I think like it's a bit like high tech high touch, right so it's a paradox it's precisely because we have this technology that is so mediated precisely we have to compensate in the other direction. It's like uh, this, uh, there is a spiritual teacher, John Heron, he says, you know, it's, it's the same thing. Well, it's not the same thing, but it's not an by analogy. He says, the more you go up, you know, in the in, in the mystical experience, the more you have to go down in embodiment, right? So that's, it's the same, the same idea. You, you go, we are, we are going to this technological level. And that means we have to make extra efforts To reconnect with ecology Mm -hmm. and so basically i would say that in terms of societal program the welfare state which we created after world war one and world war two um is was the idea let's make peace between capital and labor right because in many ways world war one was a struggle between nation states and empires you know austria-hungary and 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 the Ottoman Empire disappeared, and it actually created the Russian Revolution, and and you had revolution in in Germany, with the Spartacist League and all of that. And so, in order to make peace around this struggle, uh, the welfare state was born as a social contract. But the price we paid for the social contract was actually unprophecy. Of course, we it 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 started before with the Industrial Revolution, but if you really look at the figures you can actually see that the hockey stick actually started in the 50s. In other words, at a very precise moment when we create the welfare state is when we start really overusing uh, the planets, you know, for for series, right? And so today I would say that the challenge is a contract with nature. This is the challenge. The the Mm -hmm. challenge is, as we are moving to this planetarization level, this really requires a... Uh, some kind of like agreement with other living beings, with the web of life, right? And so here's the paradox. I do think that that technology can play a role. If if you don't mind, I I'd like that briefly explain. Sure. um So basically, you know, the way I see the blockchain, but I I would say the post blockchain because we have to divorce the idea of a distributed ledger, right? Which is a like a way to open up transactions to show each other what we're doing. And mm-hmm. that's what the ledger is. The ledger is an accounting system. And with the digital, we are creating public accounting systems, You know, publicly visible, transparent accounting systems. And so it means in a way that we are shifting from the internet of communication, which was the internet, mm-hmm. to an internet of transactions. And why is this interesting? Because it creates the possibility of ecosystems of collaboration that are non-territorial. So, in other words, you can say, uh, okay, we need copper in the world. We can actually have an ecosystem of extraction and use of copper that, you know, is shared and is visible, and we can integrate in those structures. A consciousness of, of natural limits, right? And so we have new forms of accounting like contributory accounting, impact accounting. We have intelligent cryptocurrencies like fish coin, which tell you how much fish you can fish without destroying the reproduction of the fish. Uh, we have flow accounting, which is like 3D accounting. It doesn't use double entry. It actually shows for every... It's called resources, events, actions. And so every every action is like 3D. You, you, you see your place in the ecology. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so that's my argument. My argument is that the blockchain represents a cyber physical infrastructure for global cooperation that would allow to, for the production of human needs within planetary boundaries. So to make visible context-based sustainability at every level of action. So in other words, it actually creates a possibility to introduce consciousness. You know, maybe not the consciousness that, that we are talking now as human beings, but kind of the awareness of the impact of our actions, right? So it's a way of formalizing this kind of contract with nature in our daily tools. And I, I think this is a huge, potentially important uh, to, and and just, just to finish, and then I, I will give more details about this. The way to solve the conundrum is something I call cosmolocalization. So I, I can talk about it later, but this is very important. It's What we need to do now is to connect in the right way the local and the non-local. Because civilization was five years ago a way to organize land, the town and the country. Right, that's what civilization was about. It's, it's to organize the agriculture of civilization. And now we are creating a layer of the new sphere, a layer, a layer of human cooperation, of human like interconnected brain cooperation that creates a, a non-territorial virtual sphere and virtual communities, people organizing themselves non-territorial. And the big challenge is going to be how do we put both of these together.
0: Oh, thank you for for this uh, run through uh, uh, the territory. Uh, As I understand it, uh, one way to kind of uh, 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 talk in a different way about the argument that you brought that cryptocurrency is kind of a currency that uh, you can build in human intelligence. That's more than just abstract market value. So you can bring different kinds of values in something that usually as our current systems has only basically, this is the market value. That's the information you can put in. Now we can decide and consciously decide what kind of values we want to create this kind of infrastructure, currency infrastructure. And then that does not uh, in itself uh, tell us which kind of values we put in because it can be, my, uh, neoliberal market values that you put in and you create this, uh, but it's not in the technology. It's basically a political, a social political decision exactly. how we create this infrastructure.
1: Yeah, technology is designed. That's what people forget, right? So you, you look at the internet and you could see, okay, it was invented by the army, by non-commissioned officers who wanted, you know, who wanted to retain independence from centralized command in, in war. And then the scientists looked at it and said, oh, we can use this to uh, connect science. And then citizens looked at it and said, oh, we can use that to communicate. And then business saw the, the citizens on it and said, oh, we can sell to them. And then the government looked at it and said, oh, we need to control this. So you have one technology, but it's, you know, historically, it's this layering of particular human interests that mm-hmm. that that make it what it is and it changes like the internet was originally very peer to peer and now it's entirely centralized and you know with censorious algorithms so it's it's um and so the blockchain is the same so the, there is a blockchain that is used for bitcoin and spe- speculative investments and you know, all kinds of uh, you know hiding uh illegal economic transactions but you can also say, "Well, let's use these ledgers as an institution of the commons and so i, I know it sounds weird, but I think public ledgers mm-hmm. are the institution for the commons you know it's deciding to put our transactions in the open and say if we you know if we want to it's just saying you know we we show what we do voluntarily,
0: yeah."
1: right and and for example okay this is so nowadays we do everything in competition so we say even if you want to do good things like decarbonization we're going to say okay let's have a, a procurement contest public procurement and and then the best candidate gets the money and everything else is lost you know all the other preparations serve for nothing um and you but you could say okay we allow every citizen to decarbonize. And we have a public ledger where you can voluntarily lodge your decarbonization. You get verified, recognized, you get tokens, and then the government can say, well, you know, this is a public priority that we are funding partially. You can also say these positive externalities that we are producing as citizens, Benefit big institutions and corporations, mm-hmm. and they have a vested interest in paying us to do this. You you see the thing. So you, what you're getting instead of extracting value, taxation, and then redistributing, what you get is a direct financing of generative work. No, mm-hmm. it's not a market. I'm not I'm not calling this a market. Yeah. Right? You're not selling, but you're recognized for your contributions. And so, in t- when you talk about values, well contributions we can't measure them right we only we only measure extractive commodities Mm -hmm. and impact we're also not measuring right so these are values that are not integrated in the marketplace Mm -hmm.
0: now this all makes sense to me but from a kind of a, a point of view of a conscious and also social and conscious and collaborative world culture Uh, when we look at the example that you're bringing the internet, uh, one could also make exactly the argument, you see what happened, Uh, there was so much utopian impulse about the peer-to-peer quality of the internet, but the real uh, um, market and monopolistic power structures are just overpowering the potential, and what really comes out is the opposite, uh, as we see it right now, where one could make the argument that basically this is not even a capitalist world system anymore. It's a digital feudal system uh, that uh, we are starting to live in, Uh, not making the economic argument, but hearing the uh, economic argument. So one could say, uh, yes, yes, it's true. You you can put into uh, a a, a digital uh, currency kind of value system, but what will really drive is the real power structures. Uh, is this not just basically a red herring to see, wow, we have all this common potential, but what really will come out is a neoliberal, complete modification of a global reality. where kind of a social, uh, political, uh, political in the sense of police, uh, kind of democratic structures, power decisions are completely sidelined because everything is basically in, built in a new form of blockchain market economy. Isn't that what really uh, is more likely the outcome that we uh, uh, have to look into? I
1: think it might be in the short term, right? The, the question is, I don't think that this system, which is systematically overriding planetary boundaries, is an eternal system. So we are actually witnessing the blockage of the system. We are witnessing that this system is not able to solve its fundamental issues. Mm-hmm. So in, in that sense, we're going against the wall. And you know, while we go against the wall, we might get more dictatorial and, and more control. And but eventually, is this system going to be able to you know answer its social cultural and ecological needs and you know that's so i i think we're in an era of transition you know and so in that sense it's it's an era of exodus right Mm -hmm. so what what you have is so this is what we talked about in the beginning we have a massive differentiation right so you in the 15th century suddenly you have a printing press and the catholic church can no longer maintain its hold over the knowledge uh, uh, Spreading right, and and that leads eventually to the Reformation. Today, the internet has created the same. We have f- fragmented uh, the field. Everybody is in little groups. Nobody knows how the other people are thinking anymore. We're getting our you know separate information streams, and this is fraying our, our ideational glue. Right? We have gravity for physics. We have biological fitness for life and we have ideational glue that holds societies together. And at this moment, that ideational glue is dissolving. And so what is happening at this time is that people are looking for answers outside of the system. Um, So now it looks like chaos, but I think, you know, when we look back, we will say when this is actually the period where all these new things were being tried out It's like a Darwinian process of alternatives building, right? And, you know, I did a study about urban commons. So, you know, cooperative housing, -housing, co-housing, access to organic, collective access to organic food. So I did a study in Ghent, and from 2008 to 2016, there was a tenfold increase in urban commoning in Ghent. And Then we did studies in Flanders, Holland, Catalonia, there's figures from Italy where 1 million people are involved in 250 cities around urban commoning. So there's there's a real explosion of alternatives. You know, it's marginal. Maybe it's 2-3% of the population at this stage. But it is something significant for the future. And and that's basically, you know, what I'm hoping. Of course, you know, how fast this is going to go, how... how much dislocation we'll need before these alternatives become, you know, uh, realistic? Um, so another thing I might share with you is, you know, I'm I'm reading a lot of macro history right mm-hmm. now. So I've read Spengler, The Decline of the West, which is very interesting to understand what is happening now. I'm reading Toynbee, a study of history. Uh, let, let me just give you the example of Toynbee because this is very interesting. So he, what he says is that whenever civilization you know, is dissolving, uh, so you know, the last stage is the universal state. Then when it's dissolving, what you get is a universal church. So the, he says the internal proletariat, so the common people who are no longer being protected by the state, because the state is losing its capacity to organize solidarity. So, you know, people are slowly but surely organizing themselves to survive. And they do this, you know, through common ideologies and, and that used to be these universal religions. So then you have, the, in the past, you have, we, we calls it doing, So you had this dislocation of the population. You had these nomadic movements and you know, typically a nomadic group would take over the state. They would not have the capacity to manage that country that they took over, like the Frankish in, in Gaul. And so they would need to connect with the universal church, which was the only organization that had the loyalty of the people and then had the capacity to manage a complex society, right? And that then creates the the... The ideology that will serve the next iteration of a civilization.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the question is, uh, you know, what what is that ideology today? And that's very hard to say. Um, you know, I, I I'm not very popular when saying this, but you know, I am very anti-identitarianism, right? I think this is one of the regressive ideologies that that are emerging in this period. You find it on the right and on the left, in different ways, right? Um but I think the commons is actually a positive way to look at this, right? So because what is commoning? Commoning is contribution. So let's take permaculture. Okay, so you're you feed in the mud, it's very local, very concrete, and you get your food. You do this in a community, so you have recognition and relationships with co-contributors in this project. But everything else your are learning, your certification happens at a translocal level, right? And so this is what I call cosmolocalism. And I think this is a new global order. So now we have two global orders. We have the Western market-driven rent tier capitalism, global reset, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Western order. And the way I see the global reset is a dream to run the world with global, private-public magisterium, so it's run by the banks and the financial sector. They invite in weak states and NGOs, and and you know that's that's what they're doing. They already created four hundred commissions in the in the WEF, and they 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 deal with domains. And I think that's their idea of global governance. You know, it's like a globe, but it's. It's a global domination by financial capital, essentially, right? Then you have the other side, which is the Russian and the Chinese. And I think that's what Ukraine is about. It's a systemic struggle. Uh, and they're sovereignists, right? They they don't want the market to rule, they want the state to rule the market. So you can be an oligarch, but only if you listen to the Russian state or to the Chinese state. And of course, they're both different, but what they share is the belief that the state is the core institution. Both of them are rival institutions. Both of them fight for scarce resources. And that leads to war. War between them, but also war between states and and competition between corporations. And historically, what we've done is, well, we've done that. We fight and then the cost is so high that that's when we jump to the other system. So we have the the Napoleon wars in the last 20 years, it's devastating for Europe and it creates 100 years of peace and a new system of capitalism and the nation state, right? Then we have World War I and World War II. You can consider that as one, one struggle, one, one transition period, and it creates a welfare state. And that is what is now collapsing. And and so the cosmological order is a lo- is a law lo- order where. We relocalize production because doing that we can save two-thirds of matter and energy. This is being calculated. So we spend like three times more transporting things and making things. So just by saying, you know, we, we just we 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 change the default. Right now we say we trade as much as we can. If we can find it anywhere else, we'll do it here. And Cosmolocal is the opposite. It's it's the subsidiarity of material production. We do it here, and if we can't find it here, we'll look for it somewhere else. So it's a a shift. The default position is, is you know, it doesn't mean 100% localization, but it means smart localization where we can because it's ecologically logical to do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, then what about collaboration? Well, there's no reason not to collaborate with other people. So if you do permaculture, it's a very local, but you learn from permaculturists in the whole world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so this is what I call magisteria of the commons. right? We have markets, states, we have international states, transnational corporations and finance. What we need is translocal civic commons as a first as a counterpower so what you have is let's say you have distributed production but then you have a, a global open design community that you know facilitates the innovation at a at a larger scale because why not profit from benefit from an innovation somewhere else but that's and so in terms of ecological, ecological transition this model would allow for an extraordinarily fast transition because any innovation anywhere in the world would be shared within that community, within that domain. And it would have institutions, trusts that are powerful enough to protect, you know, the the planetary boundaries and the resource limitations, right? And and there are a lot of interesting initiatives of people that are, you know, thinking and, and already experimenting So one is called r30.org. And so what they do is they say, okay, let's let's have a global organization that looks at the negative pivots for every single commodity. So how much copper is there in the world? What's the biocircularity of copper? And what's the negative pivots that we cannot reach? Because if we reach them, then we get this kind of downward spiral. So that allows them then to calculate the usage of copper, the responsible usage of copper. And then of course, and this is of course, the whole difficulty is, is there any mechanism to, to make agreements around this, right? Because otherwise it's the, it doesn't work. And so, but the new regime, the cosmological regime would be a regime that would be able to do this, wow. that, that, well, I think at some point we need shifts in power, we need you know people to mobilize and to, to, and, but I think the first thing we need to do is to organize bottom up. So mm-hmm. we need, so I'll give you an example. So I think now what we need to do is think about ownership. So um You know, this is a famous example. It's the Park Slope Food Co-op. It was started like 40 years ago in Brooklyn, and you know they have this model where, if you work for three hours a month, you become a member of the co-op and you get like 25% discount. So you get high quality organic food at very cheap prices because they don't really have to pay a lot of people because people are volunteering, you know, to work in the shop. Okay. So this has this created a worldwide movement of food co-ops everywhere in the world. But the only reason they can stay in Brooklyn is because they own the building, right? They own the building, so they were not subject to gentrification. And so now we have examples. So there is a shared ownership movement in the US and they've been mapping you know, all the commons and who owns them. Um, there's a project in the whole of Europe to map uh, food commons, you know, like li- literally map them and know where they are. There is a, a big project in Holland called Heereburen, uh, which means you know in German would mean like Lord Farmers or something. Um, and they want to buy sixty-four thousand acres by the consumers, and then have an ecological contract with with organic farmers. Mm-hmm. They can you know. Because they otherwise they can't access land; it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. But this is this is what we we need: a very broad-based Thomas movement where people start shifting their allegiance from individual consumption to you know to mutualizing their power, mm-hmm. in, to survive and yeah. to you know. And it makes a lot of sense because if you have less money, doing things together is what 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 helps you.
0: Mm. Let me ask two questions to that. Uh, uh, as you're kind of uh, laying out uh, your your picture of this, let's say, three different uh, options for the future. One, let's call it the cooperative uh, version, the other, the identitarian reactionary version, and the third one, the cosmolocal version, as you've just uh, described. Uh, One can see how the... A cooperative financial capital version has historic power to basically form its own version of the future. You also see how the identitarian nationalist uh, 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 utopia uh, out of a mixture of let's, the state interests like Russian state, Chinese state, but also um, collective psychology kind of uh, 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 national identity in in a over complex world where you basically want to st- stay with your local people so that you 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 can see how this creates an historic dynamic that allows this to be a potential future in in contrast to the uh, to the big capitalist or however you wanna call it what are the historic forces that are in favor of the third version of the third option where you see uh, there is a potential that this is not more than a nice possibility that one can think of, but that has a real option to become history because there are historic forces, maybe uh, economic forces, maybe ecological forces, maybe consciousness forces that are kind of uh, speaking for this being an option for the future. I wish I knew. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sorry to ask the question, but uh, that's...
1: It's a a very important question. So, you know, my my dream has been that the commoners become a a political subject, Mm -hmm. right? But to be honest, I see very little sign. This is what, so I spent 10 years, you know, trying to do this and then also trying to convince the left to have, you know, commons enabling policies, right? But the success rate is, is like very minimal, very minimal. Mm-hmm. And complication, I think, and, and you know, I, this is, I think there's a very realistic chance of nationalistic counter-revolutions in the heart of Europe. Um, and to be very realistic about it, right? So what we see now is the left has become the party of the cognitive elites, the urban educated people. Mm -hmm. And in countries like France, you know, the left has 25% of the vote, half of what it used to have. And the biggest opposition party is the Rassemblement National, which whatever you may think of them, it is factually the working class party today. They have like 75% of the working class vote. They have, if you map it and you look at the Communist Party 30 years ago, it's exactly the same map, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so then you see what is happening in in Poland and Hungary, where, you know, you have nationalistic movements with solidaristic ideology, right, and they have a nativist policy, and Hungary spends 5% of its GDP to support working class families with children. And guess what, they've been reelected four times. And there's polls showing that workers are the most happy in Poland and Hungary. So, it's entirely possible that you know this is our future mm-hmm. for a while. You know that, that, that as a reaction to neoliberalism, uh, we get we get uh, this kind of revolt and and people become right wing and conservative and social. Mm-hmm. And and I think this this is. Quite likely to happen uh, in, in quite a few countries in Europe. Now you look at the US, the next midterms will be uh is predicted to be the largest Republican victory in 80 years. You know, it's gonna be a little wipeout of the Democrats. Um and you know. Uh, will, will they care about climate change? I don't think so. <laughs> so, you know, so you, you have um, a really problematic picture. So I, I think this is part of the deregulation, the dislocation of our societies. And um, so the way I keep a certain optimism is by really looking at the longer term, right, is like, building these seats, strengthening these seats, interconnecting these seats, making sure that we have property, making sure that property is protected. So this is the kind of things that I think we need to think about now. It's it's what the labor movement did in the 19th century, right? It started with insurances, housing co-ops. It created all these organizations at grassroots, and then they linked with each other. And then they link to the unions, and then link to the political party, and they link to social insurance. And they became a very powerful social force.
0: That's one. That's one element I, w- I would like to add yeah, the optimistic side, and and hear what you think about it and its importance. Uh, and interesting enough, from my perspective, it's exactly what you are doing. Uh, it's the creation of social imaginary. Because part of a uh, part of the situation is that uh, if if neither uh, the, 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 uh, the, the finance capital solution nor the national solutions will be real solutions for the problem that we have, we, on one hand, we are in a dilemma. But part of the dilemma is that we don't have the social imaginary of a different future being possible. So the capacity to, uh, if, if I use a a kind of a uh, a different language here, to dream together, realistic dreams, where something becomes visible that right now is not visible because we only have dystopian futures at at this point in our social collective consciousness. The capacity to be able to think about, uh, I don't want to call it utopian, but positive futures and have the foundations that this is not just a pipe dream, but something that is a real possibility in itself can also create social movements and, uh, and, and, a, and a historic dynamic. I'm, I'm
1: doing two things for that. So one is you know, just observing and collating and making visible what is happening today. Uh-huh. So in my wiki, uh, wiki.p2pfoundation.net, I have 23,000 articles on real projects. And they have been uh, viewed at least million, 150 million times. And we published a book just this year called The Cosmolocal Reader with 40 case studies of Cosmolocal Project, you know, showing that this is a realistic thing, it already works. Of course, you know, there are not 100 million people doing that, but there are 40 thriving Cosmological projects at work that work that involve hundreds of people, and so we show that this is a real possibility. That this is being done, and this is a real, you know, realistic, a real utopia, if you like. Right. So mm-hmm. that's that's the now, right? Then the second thing I'm doing is, and this is new for me. I, I've done this in for the last two years because I basically couldn't travel uh, because of COVID. So I've been home. And, you know, instead of being frustrated and, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll do a sabbatical and I'm going to study macro history. And I did that 20 years ago and I, I did it again this time. So I'm reading the macro historians to look at patterns in the past because I think that's part of realism too, right? Mm-hmm. And so I came with the conclusion. I call it the pulsation of the commons. And so here's the basic story. Human history is actually a cycle of extractive, and regenerative moments. So you have markets and states, they are extractive mechanisms, they're growth and conquest oriented, and they create kingdoms, empires, but they always overuse their territory because they're competing with others. They have to, in order to win, they have to have more than the, the, uh, the entities they compete with. So they end up overusing their regional Planetary boundaries. Then what happens is they start to decline, and that creates a reaction, and that reaction is actually the commons. So local people, when they're you know faced with dislocation and and, and hunger and, and illness and, and pollution, they are they recreate commons historically. This is nothing new, right? Um, and. Uh, and then paradoxically, because they're doing well, they create a new surplus that creates the energy for a new cycle of extraction. This mm-hmm. is this is this is agricultural history. And then in capitalism, what they do to escape it is to change the frontiers. So they they exhaust one region and they go to another. And we have reached that level now that we have exhausted all the frontiers, right? And what that means is that the position of the comments is actually blocked. And so that what we need to do now is first degrowth. And I don't use that politically because I don't think that's useful. But objectively, we need to use less matter and energy. That's just necessity. And then we need a steady state system. And that's you know, what I was talking about, is uh, this system that would allow us to do that. And in a, in a steady state, actually means the end of the pulsation of the commons. We, well, we actually need permanent global magisteria of the commons. We need to stabilize this thing that we've done until now, right? This is extraordinarily difficult and extraordinarily challenging to do that because we've never done it, mm-hmm. right? Our, 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 and it's a big question whether we can do it, right? But I, I think that I. You know that then requires a certain belief in humanity. That despite everything, despite our darkness and our you know and our greed, and, and that despite everything, we're not one hundred percent suicidal, and we eventually will do what is necessary to protect life in the long run. Have we, as we've done many times at the local level,
0: when we needed to, right?
1: So now we need to do this at the global level. Yeah.
0: It's powerful, and it's powerful on, uh, on two levels. First, uh, uh, in, 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 the, in, the, in, in the way you're describing that this is a, a cycle that seems to be a pattern that one can see by studying uh, deep economic history.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but it also is powerful in the sense of uh, what I meant before, that by you being able to tell that narrative Yep. That narrative creates something that allows us to find next steps steps to act, because uh, the in, in able to find a direction how to respond to this uh, multiple crisis, uh, we, we need to have narratives that allow allow us to, to to orient in these complex situations. But what you what what you are giving in in that is it's not not the thing itself. It's it's, it's one piece. In, in constructing narratives that allow us to find collective action in that, that are not just fear-based, but also not just uh, uh, profit uh, uh, it, it, uh, banks, uh, b- bank logic based. In that uh, there's at least the potential of a, a shared communicative form of humanity that we can develop together And that allows, in a positive sense, to create an utopian spirit, where we, in a communicative way, find shared ways together. And I appreciate also you being tentative about this, because uh, there is no reason to be kind of uh, too optimistic uh, at this point. And uh, at the same time- If you're too idealistic- Sorry, sorry. go, Go ahead. So if you're too idealistic,
1: you know that the, the danger is real that you'll be that you'll be demoralized very fast, mm. right? Because before things get better, they may get they may get worse, and so you you need to have the stamina to to stay on the course and to see the light on the other side of the tunnel, even when you go through the dark tunnel. Mm. And I'm sure you're familiar with Victor Frankl. You know when he when he wrote in search uh, Man in Search of Meaning, which I read in my 20s, but it stayed with me. And I think that he says uh, two interesting things. The first thing he says is that the only people who survived in the camps were the Catholics and the communists. And the reason is because everybody else had a short-term vision. They only saw darkness. And so they, they couldn't muster the strength to survive. And the communists and the, and the Catholics had two advantages. First is they had a long-term vision of a better society. So they could they could project themselves after,
0: mm-hmm.
1: after the defeat of the Nazis. They, they could imagine that and believe that eventually that would happen. And because they believed in it, they could also show solidarity to each other. So they actually had communities that helped each other and other people were more isolated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he said another interesting thing is, um, I don't, I'm not sure if he was a pilot himself, but he said, you know, if you go from A to B uh, with a plane, if you if you aim for B, you will not get to B because the wind will push you away. So you have to aim to C, and then mm-hmm. the wind will push you to B, right? So you always have to aim further uh, than than you want because if you are too limited in your aims, you will not get there. Mm-hmm. So, so you, there, there's a certain way in which an aim is always exaggerated, but it's exactly the reason why, why mm-hmm. you need it to advance. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say. Very much so. That's where utopianism then comes in. So utopianism may not be real, literally, but it, if it creates this engine of optimism, Right then, it actually fulfills like a self-fulfilling prophecy to to a
0: uh, to a certain degree. Thank you very much. As we are also uh, coming to the end of uh, our time here, uh, let me l- allow me to use this as uh, the final word. Uh, thank you very much for this conversation. Thank
1: you, Thomas. Thank you, and uh, yeah, thank you for letting me know when it's published, and then I'll you know I'll spread it in my networks and. And other material in English, you please feel free to send it to me, and
0: I'll. I'll no, very also. much so. I just stopped the recording, also, and yes, very, very much so. And um, I also, uh, as we were talking, because I, I really appreciate uh, the way you go about this, uh, although you, you're you're working on a different uh, sector, of, let's say, that we are working because we are. Basically, the focus of our work is not even the magazine and the webcast. The focus is a uh, is 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 a di- dialogue dialogue based understanding of. Um, oh, I see, fantastic. And
1: also, you know, I, I do have yeah. spiritual concerns. Yeah, and uh, uh, I'm
0: looking into uh, sophiology. I don't know if you're
1: familiar with sophiology. Uh, I heard about it. I'm not have,
0: familiar with it. Yeah. It's
1: the feminine phase of creation.
0: It's a Judeo-Christian uh, tradition. Uh, one thing, just uh, as I have you, um, what we do also uh, is that we run uh, sometimes a longer workshop with our guests in a dialogical format on Zoom, uh, which we call Evolve Live, which is something like three hour, just three-hour workshops where, where people can come and engage uh, with, with the speaker. And uh, if you're interested, I, I, I would propose to our team here to also do one, one with you, and just to do something like a workshop also with people in that sense, if that is something absolutely. you're interested in. It's fine for me. Yes,
1: absolutely. Thank know you. If
0: you ever interested in an article for your magazine
1: or an interview or something, you know that we will that def- definitely be
0: interesting to spread you know spread the ideas that way as well. We definitely will do that. I regret that I wasn't thinking about it for the last one because they would have been perfect, but uh, we will find that we will find our match here. All right. Thank you Thanks. so much, Thomas. Thank you. Take care. Have a good day over there. Yeah. Bye bye. bye.